In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Consider with me one of the most well-known verses in this um, profoundest of Gospels and one of the verses that's one of the most profoundest things said in this Gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For years, I've mulled over what Jesus means when he refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. There is one way home. When Jesus describes himself as the way, he presupposes, doesn't he, that life is a journey with a goal. In this very passage, Jesus reflects on that goal. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. After the expulsion of our original parents from the garden, the whole human storyline is one of a journey home. Think of, you, the, you, we could go anywhere in the Bible and explore that. But just think of the many images in the Exodus story. There's a mountain where Moses and the elders see God and feast, Exodus 24. There's a vision of God where Moses becomes transformed into glory, Exodus 34, in anticipation of things to come for us. That's what Paul reflects on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 and Romans chapter 8. And of course, there's the final end of that journey when the people, well, the next generation, go into the promised land. And that image is one that the New Testament explores to talk about our journey. Similarly, you and I, we're not just wandering around down here on planet Earth. Each of us is heading, says C.S. Lewis, to one destination or the other, the beatific vision or the miserific vision. In the beatific vision, we will be transformed into everlasting splendors. In the miserific vision, we will become immortal horrors. If we could see ourselves now as we are going to be, says Lewis, we would be tempted to fall down in worship or to flee in horror. Jesus says that the beatific vision is a promise that is actually and truly open to each one of us. He offers his hand to get us there, and he insists that his hand is the only way in. David in the wilderness, as he writes Psalm 31, he knows as he composes this psalm while hiding in a mountain fortress, twice he calls it his Masada, his in Psalm uh, verse 3, Psalm 31 verse 3, it's translated for his castle and then stronghold. And if you've been to Israel, you know the kind of image that, that, um, that this language connotes, Masada. In his Masada, he asked Yahweh, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. So confident is David of the one to whom he entrusts himself. He can add, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Verse 5. 
David knows the one who is the way home from the wilderness. Stephen, at his stoning, knows that as well. Facing his impending doom, Stephen looks up. He sees the Father's glory and he sees the Son standing at his right hand. And as the stones begin to rain down on him, Stephen knows that he is merely on his way home. And from his knees he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he continues, Lord, do not hold this against them. And Jesus on the cross, they're becoming the way for us as he, echoing David and anticipating Stephen, prays, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And in so doing, Jesus offers his hand to lead us to the Father. Once when my kids were little, we were visiting my parents in Plantation, Florida, the suburb of Fort Lauderdale where I was raised. And we were visiting my mom and dad there at the home in which they raised me. Randy and I, Randy was age five at the time, decided to take a walk around the block. Now it was, this was as simple a walk around the block as you can imagine. Out the driveway, take a left, first left, second left, third left, fourth left, fifth left, back into the driveway. Easy peasy, right? Well, no. Halfway around the block, Randy got it into his head that we were lost. We're going the wrong way. We did, we And his protests were vigorous, as only Randy can protest vigorously. Look, Randy, I'm your dad. I grew up here. I know the way home. Trust me. Take my hand. I'll get you there. And oh, so reluctantly he did. And we got home. As early church leader Gregory of Nyssa says, he who said, I am the way, shapes us anew into his own image. And part of that image is a suppleness of spirit and a trusting of the one who's offered his hand to us. And that image, says Augustine of Hippo, is in the quality of beauty. Choose me, says Jesus. Choose beauty. Choose home. So there is one way home and there is one true story. If you've been paying attention, you know that our world right now is a baffling confusion of competing narratives of charges and countercharges of fake news of who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, who are the truth tellers and who are the liars. If you're going to maintain any sanity at all, and this is really important, if you're going to maintain any sanity at all, you have to find a point of reference in the middle of it. You have to find the one true story. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, he means that you will find your way through the fog only in him. The Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis is a story, a parable really, about a person in quest of the one true story. Lewis's pilgrim can't get out of his mind 
the notion of an island of delight, and he sets out in quest of it. The pilgrim travels north through the barren climes of rationalism and then south through the wanton swamps of romanticism. One false path says, if you can gain enough knowledge, read enough books, make yourself smart enough, get enough degrees, you can get there. Another false path says, if you can gain enough experiences, take enough cruises, drink enough bourbon, ingest enough drugs, spend enough money, bed enough partners, play enough beautiful notes, you can get there. And what the pilgrim finally realizes is that he must allow Mother Kirk, the church, to carry him for a deep dive into cleansing, baptizing waters and across the ocean that separates the mainland from the island that he seeks. Mother Kirk knows the story and you have to learn it from her. I'm a pilgrim too, on my way to the island of delight. That's why I have to start the day going to that true story first. The news feed can wait, trust me, the news feed can wait until the daily office, spending time in God's word and listening for his voice in the word and in prayer until that reconnects me to that one true story that Mother Kirk tells. A story that has Jesus Christ at its center. You're no different than I am. And the question is, who is shaping your story? Who is defining truth for you? Jesus or pick your poison? There's one way home, there's one true story, and there is one good life. It's one thing to stay focused on the journey to the Father's house and to dwell on and in the truth that keeps you above the fray of all the false stories, but in the end, you have to live your life down here in the trenches, don't you? Where Jesus says, he's here for you and with you. This world where queens give way to kings, where tyrants roar and resistors resist, where predators predate and defenders defend, where bodies age, where good intentions go awry, where, as that great theologian Taylor Swift says, player's gonna play, Hater's going to hate, caller's going to call. Right here in the nitty-gritty, Jesus insists, I am the life. In the Heroes episode of the television series, MASH, now a lot of you in the room will remember MASH, a TV series that ran from 1972 to 1983 about a mobile army, a mobile army surgical hospital, MASH, a mass unit during the Korean conflict. My favorite character in the show, because he was a priest, it was the show's chaplain, Father Francis Mulcahy. And in this hero's episode, uh, Father Mulcahy comes into his own. Now, it's a story I've told before in another setting, but I think it's worth the retelling. Father Mulcahy sits at the deathbed of one of his life heroes, a retired boxer named Gentleman Joe Cavanaugh. 
Gentleman, Joe Cavanaugh, has been on a goodwill trip to boost troop morale in Korea, and he's had, I think, a heart attack, and now he's dying, and he's lying on his deathbed, and Francis sits next to him. Francis Mulcahy sits next to him, explaining to the dying boxer what it had been like to grow up as a scrawny inner-city kid with thick glasses who liked to read otherworldly philosophy. He loved Plato's vision of an ideal plane which helped him imagine a better life, rambling fields and trees, sort of like the suburbs, only in the sky. Francis explains that his big problem as a kid was that neighborhood bullies picked on him and he couldn't figure out how to respond. Then his father took him to see Gentleman Joe in a boxing match. Something magic happened that night. Gentleman Joe was punching his opponent at will and the crowd was yelling, put him away, put him away. Joe stopped and told the referees to stop the fight. The man had been hurt enough. Young Francis realized right then that, as he says, it was possible to keep one foot in the ideal world and the other foot in the real world. I thought you might like to know that, he tells the dying Joe Cavanaugh. And I just want to thank you. And so, even as he trained for the priesthood, Patrick Mulcahy took up boxing. Think of it this way. Father Mulcahy found a way to deal with life without losing touch with the world of the way and the truth. That one foot in the real world and his boxing lent power to his ministry. From rescuing orphans to performing an orderly's duties when the rest of the camp was sick, even to performing an emergency tracheotomy while under fire. Just moments before Jesus talked to his disciples in John chapter 14 about being the way to the Father and about being the truth in the face of falsity, he had shown what the life looks like. In John 13, he had washed his disciples' feet and had told them that this is what they were supposed to do for one another. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, is fond of urging us to say yes to Jesus and in doing so, to say yes to love. Wherever the nitty-gritty of life has you right now, I pray you know Jesus in the midst of it. Whether you are lonely or claustrophobic, I pray you find him giving, the resource, giving you the resources to live and love. You may be exhausted, you may be bored. Regardless, may you find him as rest and creative energy. I pray that you have the humility to take his hand as he leads the way home. I pray that you have the insight to take his story as your one true story. And I pray that you have the courage to make his life of love your life. May you, and may I, May we, as 13th century Bishop Richard of Chichester taught us, see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly day by day. Amen.